to Christ. We're listening for the trumpet sound. The Israel looks for signs, the church listens for sounds. And I praise God for that. Turn with me in your Bibles tonight, please, to the book of 2 Timothy and chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, as I prayed about what the Lord would have me share during the three sessions that I am scheduled for, I felt like the Lord just kept directing my heart and mind back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so God willing, the three lessons I'll be bringing will come out of these three chapters as we look at the theme, dangerous times are coming. Perilous times shall come, and we have before us uh, one of these great prophecies concerning the last days and what we can expect in the lead up to the rapture of the church. So, Second Timothy chapter three, and we're going to read from verse one to nine, and then we'll pray as we uh, commence tonight with part one, the description of the last days. The Bible reads, "This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come." For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith." But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Dangerous times are coming, and this first lesson tonight, we're looking at this description of the last days. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help and for your blessing, that you'd still our hearts before you. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful time of singing, and for the joy of singing sacred songs, Lord, that sound different to the world and its music. We pray tonight now that you would open our hearts to receive uh, from your word. We pray also tonight, Lord, for those who are joining us online. We thank you for that, uh, for the 40 or so visitors this morning online. And we pray for those who are visiting us tonight from across our, our nation and even in other parts of the world, that you would minister to them a blessing. We pray now for help, Lord, that you'd empty me of self and sin and cleanse me and make me usable now and to speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy would have to be one of my favourite books in the Bible and it certainly is a wonderful encouragement and a blessing as Paul, the great apostle, picks up his pen for the last time before he goes into glory and pens this heart-stirring epistle to Timothy, his son in the faith. And in this section of the book of Second Timothy, Paul is turning his attention to the need for doctrinal soundness in view of the heresies that are going to appear in the church. And so a quick overview of the chapter and the structure of the chapter would be as follows. Paul warns Timothy of the coming apostasy of the last days in verse 1 to 9. He then cites his own example as a contrast to the apostates in verse 10 to 13 and then exhorts them exhorts Timothy, sorry, to live a life that is distinct from the apostates in conformity to the Scriptures. One author summarises it well. He says, Paul now turns to the still darker future. To fortify Timothy, Paul records the prophecy of the coming apostasy, verses 1 to 9, and then holds up before him the power to meet the apostasy in verse 10 to 17. And so we're studying this prophecy concerning the last days and it's a very important prophecy one that we need to be familiar with as we see the day of the Lord Jesus coming a drawing nigh and so we're going to study this prophecy tonight under six headings and I'll endeavor just to move along here but I want you to notice firstly our first point tonight in verse one what I would call the certainty of perilous times This know also, the Apostle wrote, that in the last days, perilous times, not may come, 
but shall come. There is a ring of certainty and a ring of reality to those words. The certainty of perilous times. Underneath that, notice the perceiving of perilous times. Paul says, this know also. We see that Paul wanted Timothy here to be alert and aware of these truths concerning the last days. You know, there is a real need for that today, for God's people to be alert and to be aware and to be knowledgeable of what the Word of God says about the end of time. This know also. God wants us to know what is going to characterize the world as we move towards the end times. Now, praise God, we are going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation, but I believe what is described here is uh, really how things are building up in preparation for that um, as we move along in this present age. And this is so important because many believers today are asleep to where the world is at. Many believers today are ignorant of the truths of the Word of God concerning the end times. You know, many churches today claim that there's going to be a great revival and a Christianization of the world before Christ comes. No, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The Bible actually teaches the opposite, that as we get closer to the return of Christ, there is going to be widespread apostasy and departure from the faith. Perilous times. That word perilous means hard. It means difficult. It means violent, fierce, dangerous. And we need to know this, that we are living in dangerous times. And it's not just danger physically, but may I suggest more importantly, we are living in days of tremendous spiritual danger, days of tremendous spiritual deception, days of tremendous moral danger and we need to know about that we need to be aware of that the perceiving of perilous times we need to know this the period of perilous times this note also that in the last days perilous times shall come and so I believe that this is referring to the time just preceding the rapture of the church the word times there has the idea of seasons And so there have been seasons of perilous times down through the church age, but what we see is these seasons intensifying as we get closer to the return of Christ. Now, clearly, Paul even had in mind that in in Timothy's day, there could be perilous times because he says, "But, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. But he also says, but evil men and seducers, verse 13, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so as the church age progresses, as we get closer to the return of Christ, things get darker, things get worse. I think we're in those days. I think we're in those last days described here because what we have here in this passage is an exact description of the kind of apostasy we see in our world today. The certainty of perilous times. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath ordained to be uh, used, or something there it says, of those which believe and know the truth. So the certainty of perilous times. Number two, the depravity of perilous times. And I want us to look at this list. There are 18 characteristics of the end times apostasy detailed in these verses, in verse 2 to 4. And we're going to have to just touch on them. We won't be able to go into them in depth. But let's look at this description of the last days. This note also, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Let's just look at these, this list here. 18 characteristics of end times apostasy. Men shall be, number one, self-lovers. Isn't it interesting that that stands at the top of the list? Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, this word is made up of two words in the Greek, phileo, to be affectionately fond of, and autos, meaning self, 
So to be a self-lover is to be affectionately fond of yourself. (laughs) I think we're living in those days of self-obsession, of self-love, of the cult of self. We see it in the selfie social media generation today. Do you know if you look at online stats, you'll find that around 93 million selfies are taken every single day. And if we add the numbers, there are almost 34 billion selfies taken each year. On average, people take one to four selfies a day, making around 450 selfies a year. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to use the camera function on your phone. Sometimes when I'm out with my wife, maybe for a meal or something, we, you, know, you smile for the camera. But I'm simply using that as an illustration. We see self-love on steroids today, do we not? And the obsession with self, in fact, it's the complete opposite, isn't it, to New Testament Christianity, which is all about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Christ. The New Testament Christianity is all about self-denial, but today we have this love of self. We've gone from mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, to iPhone, iPhone in my hand, who's the fairest in the land? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I remember we were, we were, I was catching a plane back from Sydney a number of years ago, and I watched this lady sitting there in the, uh, in the lounge with a selfie stick and photograph herself for about half an hour. And taking all these different poses, you know, you know, and she was sitting there and I thought, wow, you know, this is the culture we're living in. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, self-centered, selfishness. And I think that social media today has just accentuated this and exploded it. And nothing sacred anymore either. If, you get a, if you've got a good relationship with your husband, you don't have to post a picture of you smooching him on the bench, on the park bench somewhere. I'm serious. And there's nothing sacred anymore. I even was looking up this dear lady uh, recently, and I won't mention her name. Her husband, very godly husband, uh, passed away, and uh, I looked up her, her public profile, and there she is an hour before he dies, cuddling him in his deathbed, like Abishag. And I'm just like... I don't have a Bible verse for that, but something doesn't sit right with me about that. It's just there's something strange there. So it's gone really quiet all of a sudden in here. Self-lovers, fond of self. Covetous means a lover of silver. The pursuit of wealth is the consuming passion, isn't it, in these apostate days? And could I say that this includes, sadly, many professing believers who have, uh, have priorities that are very similar to the world. Instead of having the priorities for the things of God, they are consumed with the pursuit of money. There's nothing wrong with having money, is there, so long as money doesn't have you. Covetous. Boasters. This word means braggers, making exaggerated claims about oneself. Proud means to show above, appearing above others there. It first refers to someone who exalts himself to be above other people. We see a lot of references here to pride. Blasphemers, that means railing and abusive speech. And this can be directed towards God. We see that all the time. Or it can be slander towards man. But I believe the primary focus here is on the blasphemy against God. Don't we live in a blasphemous world? A world that blasphemes the name of Jesus Christ again and again and again. And you can see how the world is getting conditioned to this environment of blasphemy, which will prepare them for the Antichrist kingdom, because one of the defining features of the kingdom of Antichrist is blasphemy. The Antichrist is depicted in Revelation 13 as a seven-headed beast with the name of blasphemy imprinted on each of his heads. And Revelation 13, 5 to 6 says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Does blasphemy concern you as a Christian? How many times do you have to hear the name of Christ 
drag through the mud before you switch off that program? How many times do you have to hear the name of the Son of God treated like absolute mud before you will turn off that movie? How many times do you have to hear the name of Jesus Christ blasphemed before you will stop watching that show? And we have to be careful we don't get conditioned. I, re- I feel like the Lord helped me recently. I, I do keep up to date with the news and listen to different commentators and things. And every time I heard them blaspheme, it was like a knife would go through me. But over time, I started to get a bit desensitized. And the Spirit of God convicted me. And I thought, whoa, I don't want to ever get used to hearing Jesus' name or God's name used in that way. Blasphemers. We're living in days of tremendous blasphemy against God. Hatred of God disobedient to parents that's certainly a feature of today isn't it disrespect and rebellion against one's parents and then from that an anti-authority attitude not only to parents but that carries over in an anti-authority attitude towards pastors and towards civil authorities that is the age in which we live you say this is a very dark kind of list to go through but this know also God wants us to know about these things unthankful unthankful you know we live in one of the most prosperous countries on the face of the planet and yes we yet we have so much unthankfulness you know something I've noticed as a pastor very often when people leave a good church like this at the heart of it somewhere is unthankfulness I've seen that time and time again, and I'm sure pastors under the sound of my voice can identify with that, people leave and they're just simply not thankful. How about you say, thank you, Lord, that we have a good church. Thank you, Lord, we have a church that preaches the word of God. Thank you, Lord, we have a pastor who loves us and preaches the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for my church, instead of getting your nose out of joint over some little thing that just didn't really sit right with you. Unthankful. Unholy. Unholiness is the opposite to holiness. And holiness is despised today, isn't it? Both in our wicked society and by apostate Christianity as well. Unnatural, without natural affection. This means without having that normal family love. It seems to primarily speak of the relationship between parents and children. And certainly we see this lack of Family love today in the abortion industry, where 55 million unborn children are killed every year. You know, that makes for over 100 per minute. One minute passes in this sermon and over 100 unborn babies have lost their lives without natural affection. We see it in mothers abandoning their children to daycare so that they can go and make money. We see it in fathers abandoning their children to pursue their selfish lusts and fantasies. Unnatural. Truce breakers. Truce breakers. The concept here is one who refuses to make peace and one who breaks their promises. Certainly we see that in our day. Those who refuse to make peace has the idea of being implacable. Those who will not make peace and then those who break their promises. Certainly we're living in a day where people break their promises break their marriage vows, break their promises made to people. False accusers, that means slanderers, slanderers. Incontinent means without self-control. Certainly we see that today, a lack of self-control in the drunk, the, the, the culture of drunkenness and the culture of drug taking and just indulging one's lusts. Then we have the word fierce. The word fierce means savage, untamed and wild. And, and certainly we see that in our world today, violence and lawlessness and, uh, and also uh, the encouragement of violent entertainment as well. It's staggering, isn't it? The violence in entertainment today, the ferocity, it's fierce, fierce men and Violent murders are glorified and glamorized in the video games and in the movies and violent music, some of that rap music uh, that you're listening to is full of violent words and violent concepts and it's, it's damaging your life. Fierce. Despises of those that are good. 
This literally means not lovers of good men. Haters of good men. That's the attitude of today, isn't it? Despisers of those that are good. There used to be a time even in our culture where if you were a godly person, you may have some respect. Now it's reversed. The more wicked you are, the more vile you are, you're the hero. But if you are a godly person who sticks to the word of God, you are demonized, you are looked upon as foolish. You know, that's the attitude of apostate Christendom as well. Despising godliness, despising holiness, despising the separated believer. Traitors, those who betray confidence and trust, those who are disloyal. Heady means rash or or reckless. It describes the culture of today of living on the edge and taking risks. One who plunges into things without forethought. High-minded means to raise a smoke. It means to puff up, speaks again of pride, but especially in the thought life. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Uh, This is putting devotion to self-satisfaction above devotion to God. We live in a day-to-day where pleasure is God for people. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Do you understand what the Bible is saying there? Can you imagine that actually loving the foolish pleasures of this life more than the Creator God? But that's exactly how apostate Christendom is today as well. Whatever we say in theory really uh, doesn't mean a whole lot. If you put pleasures ahead of God, that's your God. And so we have the certainty of perilous times, and we can only just touch on those. We could, we could delve into those a lot, but we need to move on for time's sake. The certainty of perilous times, the depravity of perilous times, and number three now, the religiosity of perilous times, verse 5. And this is where it really gets quite startling because you might be following along with all those different words, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, traders, heady, high-minded, all of those things, and think, yeah, that describes the world out there. That's a perfect description of the world. Don't miss verse 5 because Paul is not just describing the way the world in general will be in the lead up to the rapture. He is describing an apostate church, an apostate kind of Christianity. You say, how can that be? How could there be a kind of Christianity in the last days that looks exactly like the world? Well, that's where we are today. That's exactly where we are today. And the reason why this list so closely resembles the world and so, uh, so closely resembles the world, you say, how on earth can that be a description of any kind of church? Is because the world has overtaken the church and today most churches are indistinguishable from the world. They sound like the world. They have the world's music. You come into their churches and the lights are dimmed and it's black like you're in some sort of nightclub and the drums are being thrashed and there's the electric guitars. And if you close your eyes, you wouldn't know if you were in a nightclub or in a house of God. The churches of today sound like the world. They look like the world. You have the same gross immodesty and the sensual fashions and people look like the world and sound like the world and act like the world. It is describing here not just the condition of the world at large, it is describing the apostate Christianity of the last days. Because he says, having a form of godliness... He goes right on after giving that terrible list. He says, having a form of godliness. So these are not people who are atheists. These are people who have a form of godliness. And the word form there has the idea of an outer appearance. But denying the power thereof from such turn away. So he goes right on to describe the same group of people. So he is not just warning about the godless world that will exist at the time prior to the rapture. He is describing the kind of apostate Christendom that will be prevalent in the last days. The religiosity of perilous times. Look at their outward appearance of godliness, verse 5. The first part of the verse there. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That word form, as I said, means external form, appearance. So there's a surface godliness, there is an appearance, there is the label of Christianity, 
but there's no substance. You better understand that today, that not every building that has the word church on it is a genuine church. You better understand today, sadly, that this know also, I'm just doing my job making you aware of this, not everybody who says they're a Christian is the real deal. We are living in times where the church of the apostate church basically is exactly like the world, but there's just a little bit of a surface form of godliness there, but no substance. That's exactly the church of today. That is exactly what we see. Having a form of godliness, there's an, abs- there's an outward appearance of godliness, but then there's an inward absence of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Denying the power thereof. So there's an outward appearance, and yet there's an inward absence of the power of godliness. What does this mean, the power of godliness? Well, I believe it would it would, it would speak of the power of the gospel to transform lives because Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. These are people who have a show of Christianity, but their lives are no different from the world, probably because most of them are unregenerate. And you have to understand that today. We are living in days of great apostasy where many churches are filled with people who may profess outwardly some kind of form of Christianity and yet in reality they're not even saved. You have pastors in pulpits today who are not even born again, don't even know Christ as Saviour. That is the apostate, unregenerate church of the last days. They deny the power thereof. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So it would refer, no doubt, to the gospel. And aren't you thankful that when the gospel of Christ really impacts your life, it has life-transforming power. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never allowed the power of the gospel to transform your life. Could I encourage you, you don't need some apostate kind of Christianity that just is basically a cheap cheap version of the world. What you need is the power of God's saving grace working in your life to transform you and to change you. So there's no power because many of them have not been saved. But it's, it's also a denial of the power that is connected with, with genuine godliness. Did you know that there is power in a godly walk? There is power in genuine holiness? And yet the, the church of the last days denies this. So we see our, their outward appearance of godliness. We see their inward absence of godliness. And look back at the verse, notice now our required avoidance of these apostates having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such what turn away turn away from who turn away from the apostates from such referring to this group of people that have been described these people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof these people that fit the description of that list Paul is calling Timothy and Paul is calling the church to separation from apostasy. Can you see that? It's right at the very heart of this prophecy about the the apostasy of the end times. Paul has this very important command from such, turn away. As a church, we believe in separation separation from the world and separation from those who are walking in disobedience to the word of God. We are not to try and build bridges to the apostate world. We are to build walls against the apostate world. We are not to join hands with those who deny the truths of the word of God. We are not to join hands with the worldly apostate church of the last days. We are to separate from it. But, but what about love? <laughs> when people say that all the time, I think this, what about love for God? Where does love for God come into it? 
How about we love God supremely with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds? Yes, love is behind separation. We love God. Therefore, we are separate from evil, separate from the world, separate from compromise. That is the heart motivation behind it. And ultimately, love for the people who are trapped in that. Because we're not going to be able to reach them and affect them by just going just throwing our boat into the river of apostasy and going downstream with them. That never works. From such, turn away. Separation from apostasy is a Christian duty. Let me give, me, give you some more verses. Romans sixteen seventeen. Now beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. 1 Timothy 6, 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us, referring to the apostolic truth, the traditions taught in the word of God, not human tradition. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Bible is clear. We are to avoid them, withdraw from them, depart from them, turn away from them, come out from among them, and be separate from them. That's what the Bible says. And this church is unashamedly a separatist church. Not an isolationist church. The Bible doesn't call us to some form of Amish isolationism. But biblical separation. And you should be thankful. And it's not about pounding ourselves on the back. Not at all. If we ever get proud, God will stop using us. I'm just simply saying, let's nail our flag to the mast tonight. We believe in separation as a church. Separation from the world and separation from this apostate Christendom that is described in these verses. Do you know what's happening in the church at large out there? The denial of the word of God? The inroads of the new age into churches? New age practices? Occultic practices even? Christian tarot cards apparently in some churches here in Adelaide. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, that's just, that's just what we're seeing. The world and all of its wickedness packaged with a bit of Christianity on the outside, but it's corrupt, it's apostate, and Paul says, turn away. What's interesting about that word is it's in the present tense. It means we are to turn away and go on turning away. It's a continual life of separation. We have to constantly... Be careful and turn away from error. Notice number four now, the immorality of perilous times. Verse six. The immorality of perilous times. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. This is another description of the end times church. A church where immorality is rampant. A church where immorality is, if it's not encouraged, is tolerated. That's where we are today. We're talking about the kind of apostate Christendom that exists just prior to the coming of Christ. Just prior to the rapture, we are living in these days. This certainly describes the professing church today with its tolerance of fornication, adultery, divorce and remarriage and increasingly, increasingly, even the sordid sins of Sodom are tolerated in churches that even would claim to believe the Bible. Now look at 
Look at these individuals and how they're described. For of this sort, out of this kind of group here, are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. The word creep there literally means to clothe with a garment. It sort of pictures someone who's hiding in their cloak. That's the picture of the false teacher, of the apostate. They have something to hide. And they creep. What a picture. They creep into houses. They're sly, they're subtle, they're they're stealthy and they're secretive. In fact, the same word is translated in Jude 1.4, crept in unawares. I call them creeping creeps. (laughs) Creeping creeps. They try and slip in unawares. That's why we have to be vigilant and watchful. And as a pastor, could I just say, my heart is to be vigilant and watchful for your protection from creeping creeps that would slip in with an agenda to destroy your life. They creep into houses. It's interesting, isn't it, how often subversion takes place in the home. Do not let the false teacher into your home. Well, I don't ever have false teachers in my home. You may not have them there physically today, do you? And let them in virtually. (laughs) Do you let false teachers into your home virtually? Because that's often where the battle is lost in the houses, in the homes. And you can be in a good church, but being led astray in the home, if you are allowing the wrong kind of influences into your life, and we're living in a day-to-day where the access to the false teacher has never been more of a problem than it is now. In chapter 4, we're going to see this in our final message. Paul says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. It's one of the biggest problems we face today is the the multiplicity of teachers out there. And you can hardly preach things into certain people because they're tapped into this teacher online and that teacher online and they've got all these teachers and all this information pouring into their lives and they're so confused. Bit of advice, make your local church your primary source of instruction. Make sure you get your life under a godly pastor who's true to the word of God and earnestly seeks to uphold the word of God. There's protection there for you. And by all means, if you can find some sound and good men to listen to online, go ahead and do it. But I'm just saying be very careful today about the false teacher who will try and get into your home. Not against listening to sound men online. Recommend sermons here regularly, but just make sure, be careful. If in doubt, check with your pastor. What have you heard of this guy? What do you think of him? You know, I find it's it's a big problem too because people come in and because they've listened to some guy on YouTube for five years, they think they know everything. I've been surprised at how many proud responses I've had. I've, with a genuine heart, said, hey, have you thought about doing the ABCs of Christian growth? And people balk at that, ABCs? I'm beyond that. I've been listening to this guy on YouTube for five years. That's why you need ABCs. Because I'm, just, I'm not trying to be unkind. It depends who you've been listening to. But even if you've been listening to someone sound, it's not the same as being under the teaching ministry of a man of God or men of God. And the fact you've listened to all those videos does not mean you have been well grounded in the scriptures. You need a pastor in your life to help you and to guide you. Ephesians 4 tells us that, that pastors are given to the church for the edification of the saints and for the work of the ministry. And you read down there, lest we be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Pastors are given to the church to equip you and to help you to be stable in doctrine. By the way, it's a big problem when the very men who are supposed to be bringing about doctrinal stability in a church are the ones being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then turn around and blame the sheep. As if it's their fault. Well, we're just studying. We're just studying uh, this doctrine and trying to work out what we believe. You should have worked that out before you became a pastor. Yeah. 
You should have worked that out before you stepped behind the pulpit and damaged a whole bunch of lives. Their deceitful approach. Look at their defiled activity. They lead captive silly women. Now this word silly has the idea of little. And it's not referring to a a woman who's little in stature, but to a woman who is little in moral character and wisdom. Now, what a description of the last days. Sleazy men and silly women. Creeping creeps, sleazy men, and they come into churches, and why is it they always seem to have long hair? Long, greasy hair. Because I'm trying to look like Jesus. As if Jesus had long, greasy hair and a gold chain hanging about his neck resting in more greasy hair. Sorry, I just had to say that. But do you see? Immorality. Immorality is rife in apostate churches. And it's tolerated. I heard the story of one pastor who ran off with this woman he was counselling and the church allowed him to keep pastoring. This was a Baptist Union church. Well, we've got to show grace. Yeah, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. That's the kind of grace we need. Led away with diverse lusts. The word diverse there means many coloured, various, many different kinds. Aren't we seeing that today? It's not just toleration of one kind of sinful lust in churches today, but as I said earlier, the toleration of moral perversion now in professing Christendom is absolutely staggering. Immorality and marriage breakdown are rampant and adultery within the field of contemporary Christian music. Let me give you some names. Sandy Paddy, Denise Williams, Sheila Walsh, John Talbot, Randy Stonehill, Larry Norman, Tom Howard, Kevin Proche, Ralph Carmichael, Steve Archer, Amy Grant, Stacey Jones, Melody Green have all had some kind of breakdown in their marriage or have been adulterers. You're going to get up and jing, 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 jing to their music, are you? I don't even know a lot of those names, but maybe you do. Maybe that was your favourite singer. I just ruined it for you. The immorality of perilous times. Number five, the illiteracy of perilous times. Verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that not the age in which we live? It's interesting, isn't it? We live in the information age. Never before have we had so much information at our fingertips and yet we are living in a day where most people just don't know what they believe and we're living in an environment where apparently there are no absolutes. And people are information junkies and they're taking in this information, that information, but they're not settled on anything. And unfortunately, that culture has infiltrated the church to where people are just constantly open to new ideas and we're always flexible on our doctrine and we're just willing to bend here and bend there like a rubber band. That is not a mature Christian walk. Always learning. I think today's digital culture is similar to the day, Paul's day with the Athenians, Acts 17.21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Yeah, there's about 700 million videos on YouTube. That's almost a billion ever learning, constantly learning. And you say, what's wrong with constantly learning? Shouldn't we be constantly learning as Christians? Absolutely, so long as you arrive through that process at the knowledge of the truth. So long as you arrive at sound doctrine, we are not against learning and education and growing in the Christian faith. The problem here we see is always learning but never understanding, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And it's true, Uh, growth as a Christian is a continual process and that won't end until we go home to glory, but but we still can, can know some things in the Bible. 
we believe the Bible is understandable. And there are some things that are hard to be understood, but you should be able to arrive to some settled positions on things that don't need to come up for review. You should know that Jesus Christ is God and that should be a not negotiable for you. You should know that the Bible is the infallible, perfect word of God and be settled on that. You should know that the truth of the pre-tribulation rapture, and yes, I I believe you can be settled on that one too. I believe you can come to the knowledge of the truth on that and understand these things. The virgin birth. The blood atonement, the great doctrines of the word of God, we should be able to arrive at those things and understand them and hold to them. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But it's more than just a head knowledge because this word knowledge, as I understand it, refers to an experiential knowledge and so it it, it seems to refer to salvation. This is the the apostate world. People are always learning things but never coming to a heart experience of genuine salvation. Number six, the obstinacy, the obstinacy of perilous times, verse eight and nine. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Who is he describing? Same group of people. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Look at the symbols of their resistance there in verse 8. The symbols of their resistance. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses. And so the Apostle Paul gives an illustration from the Old Testament where the magicians opposed Moses in Pharaoh's court. Now in the book of Exodus, uh, you can read about this in chapter 7 and in chapter 8 as well. And they are not named in the book of Exodus, but the Spirit of God names these uh, magicians through the Apostle Paul, Jannes and Jambres. They withstood Moses And now Paul draws a connection between the opposition of the Egyptian magicians and the end times apostates. So he says, just like Jannes and Jambres stood against Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Does that not describe our day? Fierce resistance to the truth. The word there, resist the truth, the word resist means to, uh, to set oneself against, to oppose and to withstand. And that's the day we're living in. Fierce opposition to the truth, not just from the world, but from the apostate church. You'd be surprised sometimes. You take a Christian and say, this is what the Bible says. Well, I don't care. What do you mean you don't care? Uh, could I show you what... Oh, yeah. excuse me, if it's in the Bible, you should care. If you're a Christian, if the Word of God has something to say, that's your concern. You should care about that. Resistance to the truth. It's a terrible thing to see sometimes when you're proclaiming the truth of God's Word and you see people even sometimes visibly resisting the truth of the Word of God in the pew. I've seen it. They make it clear on their face. You can preach that all you like. And sometimes they get a sick grin on their face. And and you can preach that all you like. You're not going to move me. That's a spirit of apostasy. That's not the spirit of a born-again child of God. Have the attitude of loving the truth. Love the truth. Submit to the truth. The symbols of their resistance, Jannies and Jambres, the source of their resistance, men of corrupt minds. This is the reason why they resist. The phrase here, corrupt minds, is in the, present ten- in the perfect tense in the Greek, which indicates a permanent state of depravity. They've come to a settled place of corruption. It's also in the passive voice, which indicates that they have submitted to this corrupting process. They have cooperated with the devil and cooperated with error in this process of being corrupted. Reprobate concerning the faith. The word reprobate there means rejected after testing. It was a word used for the testing of metals. Number three, the stupidity of their resistance. But they shall proceed no further, verse 9, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. 
So in time, the foolishness of Jannes and Jambres who withstood Moses was made manifest. And the Apostle Paul is saying that these apostates and their resistance for the, of, to the truth will also eventually be exposed for what it is. You know, God has a way of exposing error and, and, and the foolishness of it over time. And just like the Egyptian magicians were proven no match for the almighty power of God and were, and were exposed for what they were, so also those who in our day resist the truth will find themselves eventually exposed as well. So boy, that's a very depressing and dark passage. But this, no. The purpose of a message like this is to raise your awareness. It's a warning message. This is the kind of apostasy that is going to abound in the last days. As you look around and see apostate Christendom, I think you'll agree, we're there. You say, does it end there? Is there any sort of positive in this passage? Any sort of encouragement? Yes, that's what's coming in the next message. And this is what I love about uh, this chapter. And I saw it afresh as I was going back through it. Here you have this dark description of apostasy. And now Paul is going to exhort us how we are to live as Christians in the midst of an apostate age. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You say, what do we do in an apostate age? Live the word of God. Continue in the truth of God's word. Be faithful. That'll be the focus of tomorrow's message. And so there's a solution for us, so to speak. We are to live a life that is distinct from all of this. Let's bow for prayer, shall we? Are you walking tonight in the power of genuine holiness? Or are you living a double life? What's your attitude to the truth? You know, apostasy is not just a creed, it's a lifestyle. And while many Christians still may reject the doctrines of apostasy, they have embraced the lifestyle of apostasy. Are you living an apostate kind of life? You may be saved, but you're living a worldly life an ungodly life. There are things in your life that have crept in through media and through other entertainments that are damaging your life. I encourage you to deal with that tonight. Bring that to the Lord. Cast out those idols <clears throat> and fill your life with God's truth. Lord, God's truth. Lord, we thank you for this warning of the last days and we pray that you would help us to be aware of it, to know it. And Lord, that we might then live a godly and separated life in distinction to all of that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.